Hello and welcome. Oh, wait. Now we're live. There we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Mike Roziel, and this is the podcast where we get to talk about the intersection of sports and business with some incredible people. And today, that incredible person on the show, my guest, Jonathan Jones. He's a podcast host of Behind the Ball. He's a transformational speaker, and he's a best-selling author. Jonathan, how you doing today, man? Michael, I'm doing excellent today. How are you doing, my man? It's a beautiful day to be alive, man. It is a beautiful day to be alive. I always look for the positivity. I always look for the good things. I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and hopefully uh, that starts to figure itself out and good people uh, rise to the top. That's exactly what we're looking for. But every other day, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, man. I'm grateful to be here. Most definitely. Most definitely. That's all we can say, man. So, Jonathan, first question I have for everybody on For the Love of Sports is, why do you love sports so much? Man. I really love sports because I think it gives us the opportunity to just come together because it doesn't matter where you're from. If you're from a rural area, if you're from the inner city, it, it, it brings us all together, especially when it comes down to just thinking about locker rooms and things like that. It's just a mash of all these various cultures, all these different beliefs. And then we come together and we have the united front of the team. So that, that's why I love sports so much. It brings us together. Brings us together. Absolutely. And she's playing for the uh, the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. You know, we've heard all the cliches, but I do think it is pretty important. It's that, it's that aspect, as you said, you know, getting into the locker room, being with those guys, doing what you need to do, guys or girls, obviously, doing what you need to do and how you need to do it, making sure that you are coming together, that unity aspect. And I mean, I know you played, uh, you know, we could jump into it a little bit. I know you played a little bit of ball in college. What, out of those experiences, what are some of the things that you learned from the opportunity to become unified as a team, as one, to go towards that ultimate goal, what were some of the things you learned about yourself along that along that path? Well, one, I realized that I lacked discipline. I also realized that I wasn't operating with a high level of integrity or a high level of character. And then, when you know we're we're, we're showing up to practice, and then coaches telling us to do one thing. While at the same time, in my mind, I'm like, coach, I don't necessarily want to do that. Mm-hmm. Coach, I don't know if you're necessarily right here. Um, but but then later realizing that coach coach knew best. And he's he's <laughs> been he's been there before. Uh, he, he's been in locker rooms. He's worked with hundreds of other guys before. So he knew what he was talking about. So really um, getting exposed in that area as far as integrity, as far as discipline. And then outside of that, seeing that what I thought working hard was mm-hmm. uh, that that was really just scratching the surface. So of, of, of course, I mean, I'm sure you've heard, heard Michael about David Goggins and how David Goggins, he, he's a guy who pushes his body to the absolute limit. And you're like, how is this guy doing this? This is crazy. But then he talks about how, when we think we're exhausted, when we think we're drained, I think we can go 40% a harder until we're actually physically tapped out. So all, all of those things would be just a few um, that I learned in regards to being in the locker room and in regards to playing sports. So I'm, I'm grateful for all those memories and, and all those coaches. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, how time? How many times you don't have to answer this question, but how many times did you push yourself 40 percent more uh, afterwards? David Goggins is incredible. What he's been able to do, what he's been able to get people in society to do, I think is really cool mm-hmm. and really just pushing people far. But I think the, the the first point you made, you know, lacking discipline, I think, you know, it's. Obviously, you had the self-awareness to realize you lack discipline, though. So I think there is that double-edged sword there where, yeah, that might have been a negative, but at least there was a positive that came out of it because then you were able to work on something like that. So I think that part's pretty important. As you said, 
not really wanting to do what coach said, but then finally realizing like, wait a second, this dude's been doing this longer than I've been alive. Maybe uh-huh. I should pay attention to him. So I, I love the points that you make. I think that's pretty important. And you know, the Dave and Goggins point again, it's, it's incredible how much we think is physical, but really it's just mental at that point, right? Like you can run, you know, I don't care what anyone says. Like if you think you only can run, you know, two miles, I promise you, you can run further. You just don't want to. Right. And it's, it's overcoming that mental aspect. And obviously if there's physical limitations, whatever, I'm not here to talk about that, but yeah. you as a human being, if you're a normal human being, you only think you can run two miles. I promise you, you can run 0.1 miles more. And then you can probably run 0.1 miles more again, a couple more times. Right. You know, it's just one of those really weird things that we do where we get tired and we don't want to do it anymore. So I'm That's very true. guilty of it. Do not. Me too. Me too. Not anybody. I am very, very guilty <laughs> of that. Do not worry. But, uh, you know, t- t- talk to me a little bit about, you know, your college experience, obviously. So, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit later. You really do try and help college athletes, which I think is awesome and really help them and get them to understand who they are, what their net worth is personally, not net worth actually financially. Obviously that's a whole thing. That's, that's coming up. Hopefully we get those dudes some money and those girls some money soon. But with, um, with that, like what, what was your college experience like so that, you now, this is the career path that you put yourself on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent question, Michael. So first, I'll go back to the I like discipline piece. And it was the aspect that I was one of the older guys on the team um, because initially coming in, I did not have a spot on the team. I tried to try out. The coach was like, you know what? We don't need any guys, but you can be the manager. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't. I definitely don't want that. He said, well, John, you can be the manager. You'll stay close to the team. And then I was packing the guys' bags. I was washing guys' tights. And from that point, that was when I realized that that coach was helping instill the lev- level of discipline. He was showing me work ethic. Um, so I wanted to play for that coach. His name was Coach Crawford. I wanted to play for him, but he didn't get the opportunity to come back. But the coach who was under him said, John, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to give you a shot. And, and we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, but our, our first season together – we were going out to clubs, knowing that we had practice at six o'clock in the morning the next day. Uh, we, we had we had weights in the morning and our coach pushed the limits on us. So the experience was we were learning to come together as a family because that, that was our coach's motto. One family, one goal. And, and we had all these guys in the locker room, black, white, Hispanic. Everybody was there. So it, it, it was that aspect and then realizing that. When we built relationship with one another, then we played and performed better on the court. So I'm I'm grateful that the motto was one family, one goal, because he always challenged us. If there was a guy who was lagging behind when we were doing conditioning, running the mile, was like, okay, y'all got to go get him. So we would go get the guy and and then we'd come in and make sure that we were all on the same page. So that that was one of the biggest pieces. Um, And we began to do everything together. Michael, we did everything together. We went to the club together. Uh, I, I'm in Dallas. And then there were uh, other colleges out like in the Denton area, which is like 45 minutes out. So we'd drive out there together. We'd hang out together. We began to just stay the night together. Like we did all of these things. And then that allowed us to, to be more competitive and ultimately to be more productive. And that's why now one of the guys who was my teammate then, um, he's my best friend. I consider him as a brother now. He was in my wedding. And that's what, 10 years, 11 years going strong. So there, there were there were a lot of things there. The, the college experience was great, but the family aspect and, and really that sense of camaraderie was huge. 
Yeah, I think I mean, chemistry is gigantic, you know, in, in all sports, chemistry is gigantic. But I would say it's probably the most important in basketball, right? Mm. Because it's more free flowing football. Everyone knows exactly what they have to do on every single play. It's not really a question, but basketball with it being more free flowing, needing to kind of have that intuition where other people should be or will be, I think more importantly, will be on the court. Uh, you you only get that by spending time with each other. You only get that by being around each other and and laughing together and crying together and seeing these things through, obviously playing and practicing together. But I think it's that extra level of, as you said, doing everything together. You start to know who someone is intuitively and you use that intuition a little bit further. And I think obviously that's something that you guys were able to do. And maybe not, actually. I didn't ask you what the record was, but I'm hoping that you guys, uh, you know, record-wise, you were pretty good. But, um, you know, it sounds like you were really good friends on and off the court. So that's important, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So initially, the, the first season, we ended up topping out at 14 and 14. So we had an even record. And, and then we began to self-assess. And then the next year, we were able to win the, the national championship, the junior college national championship. So ultimately us taking time and seeing, okay, well, we can't go to the club all the time. Maybe we'll go to the club a few less times because we're still in college. We're still boys being boys. Um, So, you know, those are some things that that we began to just slightly shed off the fat. And then we began to take our workouts more serious. We began to really take heed to what coach was saying. And then when we began to do those things, we had a strong defense. We rolled through our conference play. And then we ended up having a buzzer beater uh, that allowed us to win the championship, which was crazy. It was crazy. Goodness. Were you guys, was it a tie game or were you losing when that buzzer beater went in? Uh, So initially we were losing. We we were, Michael, we were losing. And then uh, one of our post players, one of the bigger guys on the team, his name is Jordan Cole. Uh, He's a good friend of mine uh, still to the day. And he actually fouled a guy. So he fouled a guy, sent him to the free throw line, they're uh, they're down by what? No, no, they were actually up, and then the guy missed both free throws. We got the ball, came down, we passed it to, to a guy named uh, Deontay Mitchell. Then he pulled up, shot a three, and then we won the game. It was it was unreal. It was That's unreal. Awesome. <laughs> I always like buzzer beaters are awesome, but they always mean more if you're losing when you hit mm-hmm. them, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was actually just talking last night with a buddy of mine. The uh, the Kawhi Leonard shot over the. Uh, actually, both of those, both sides of that is Kawhi Leonard. He misses those free throws. LeBron goes and wins the championship. Or, you know, he he hits those free throws and Kawhi goes down and makes that shot against the Sixers. But they were tied. So it would have it was cool and it was awesome. And it was one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. But they were just going to go to overtime if he missed it. It means so much more if it's, you know, live or die. I always think that that's a little bit more impressive. So kudos to you guys. Kudos, congratulations. Winning the national championship on any level is friggin' incredible. So good for you there. And so... Thank with you. that, what what happened during your college experience that drove you to this career path of trying to help co- other collegiate athletes or current collegiate athletes? Because there there had to have been something along the way that kind of either clicked or was embedded in the back of your head that finally you know was planted a seed that was planted and blossomed. So what was it? If if you are self aware to that, what was it that happened during your college experience that allowed you to come to the opportunity to start doing what you're doing now? Well, Michael, if, if I if I look back, then then I probably can pinpoint mm-hmm. uh, some some things. But during that time, there was nothing there that I was thinking about in this level, in this stage, in this mm-hmm. space. Um, but looking back, I actually had a speech. I had a speech professor and he was so charismatic and he was so excited about life. And I, I was thinking to myself, 
this it looks like he is really living life and he is enjoying it. So that's one of the places that, that I've been able to actually pinpoint. But before that, I've always had a, a heart of service. Uh, my parents instilled in me at a very young age that giving back is essential. Giving back is something that we do. That's a core principle for our family. Going back and thinking about <clears throat> times where we would volunteer um, for a local nonprofit and then we would do Christmas programs and we would do Thanksgiving giveaways. So that that was a big aspect. And then we fast forward a little bit in life. I graduate after college and I'm trying to find my place in the world, trying to find my place in society. Then I began to go in the stores late at night doing the inventories where you count the items. One, two, three, four, five, six. And due to my college career, then I'm, I'm doing all these bends and I'm having to squat and kneel down. And I realized that my body cannot take this physical rigor anymore. So I was like, ah, I have to do something else. Everything comes full circle, right, Michael? So then I go back to the nonprofit. The CEO, his name was Dr. Daniel Prescott. And I knew him at a young age. He gave me one of my first jobs when I was in high school. And then now at this point, he always told me, come back, Mr. Jones, come back. I have a job for you. And now he allowed me to be the program manager or program director over the after school program. So ultimately now I'm heading the after school program that I once worked for. Mm -hmm. And I'm in there, Michael, they're babies from pre-K to fifth grade. And, and you know how it goes. People just are unreliable at times. So my, my, uh, my colleagues and my workers, I guess you can say, they weren't showing up. So I'm reading books to pre-K students. I'm over here feeding lunches to fifth grade students. And I love that age group, but I realized that they weren't meant for me to, be I, I couldn't best serve them. Mm -hmm. And then I began to think, okay, okay, who can I really help? Then my target market began and my target audience began to be those, those college students and realizing how difficult the transition was for me so now wanting to really focus, really hone in and really serve them to set them up for success before they graduate, help them begin to prepare their freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. So they've already had some internship experience because I didn't have any. So to answer your question uh, in a long way, but that, that was, um, I, I guess, the buildup of to where I am now and, and to this point to begin to serve uh, student athletes. Absolutely, man. And please keep your long stories long. People are here to listen to you. They're not here to listen to you. Do not worry, man. Like, I want to hear it all. I love detail. I love doing this. That's why we're going to be here for 45 minutes to an hour. So keep all the stories long, man, as long as they're engaging and you're a speaker. So I assume at this point you can keep engaging stories rolling for a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm all for it, man. And I think you make a really good point in, in, in you know, A, it all comes full circle. I always love, I mean, all stories come full circle at some point. You just kind of have to be paying attention to those details as we were talking about but with that i think it is really cool that you were at least able to to recognize some things that did happen in college again they didn't really mean anything at the time but as you came forward and started to learn more and realized how much you enjoyed helping students in particular but then mm -hmm. realizing you can make a bigger impact somewhere else you're able to kind of take what you were doing flip it over and, and go back to what you what you did as an athlete yourself and understanding like oh this is if I knew any of these things, I would have been a little bit further along. Now, of course, we're all grateful that you didn't get any of those lessons because now you're able to figure them out and go help other people. So I hope mm -hmm. you're OK with me saying that. But it definitely mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where it's always interesting kind of how these things come full circle. And while you're now trying to give information that would have been great if you had it, 
Mm, mm -hmm. we're all kind of grateful that you didn't have that information because now you've been able to figure out what you're doing now. So I love it, man. Good for you. Definitely, Michael. And and with you saying that, I think that's the biggest piece of implementation, because a lot of times we hear stuff. Other times we see stuff. Sometimes we hear and see stuff. But when we go through those experiences, when we have those moments where we fail or where we learn and we're able to extract a lesson from it, then it's embedded in our mind versus it going in one ear and out the other. And and as you say this, uh, I, I was just thinking, Michael, there was a point where I wanted to quit that team. The, the national championship winning team. I'm, I'm rewinding it back uh, because I think this is essential for people to know. Because I saw many guys quit. The coach made it to where we would want to quit. We were a basketball team, but we ran like we were the track team. And I ran track for a very brief stint in high school. And I realized that I didn't want to do that because it was too much running. Said so we we practice running so we can run some more. Yeah, right. And, uh, getting to the point where I was on that I was on that team, and I, I'm telling my friend Buzo because at, at that time he actually moved in with me. So it was Buzo, it was it was myself, and it was my mother. We all stayed in this house because he kept coming over and staying the night. And my mom said, "Well, why don't you just you just stay here?" And then he ended up just staying. Uh, because she she said at one point that she wanted to make sure that I had that sense of camaraderie. I had the true college experience. Um, and then one day I told Boozo, I said, Boozo, I, I quit. I said, I'm done. I'm going to turn in my stuff. I, I began to pack up my, my my gear bag with my sweatsuit, my jersey, all that, the shoes. I was like, I'm going to drop this right in front of coach's office. I'm going to leave and I'm done. He said, John, relax. And he said some other things to me uh, because we, we all have those relationships where we have people mm -hmm. where they can say things a little bit past what's filtered for other people to have to navigate through and navigate around. Um, but in that moment, life wasn't going the way they were supposed to be going for me. Right, Michael? The team was winning games. Okay. Coach was doing fine. My grades were fine. But the game wasn't the game wasn't bending to, to my needs, to my wants, to my desires. And, and I think that's I think that's a big point for everybody, wherever we are, if we're playing sports, if we're not, if we're competing in life, we have to realize that when life isn't bending to us and we're blaming everybody else, we have to reflect and ask ourselves, is everybody else the problem mm -hmm. or am I the problem? And I didn't realize it at that time. But just before, and I'm rewinding the story. I, to I told you one story, but now I'm rewinding it back and filling it in, kind of like how they did the last dance. <laughs> um, but after I graduated, I graduated not from. I graduated the junior college, went on to get my four year at the University of Texas at Tyler, and that's a whole another experience. However, in in that gap post graduation, I, I show up. I'm working at this retail store, Michael. I was there two and a half years. I saw five managers come in and go out and everybody's been in that space to where we've seen people around us. We think they're going to be there forever and they leave. If it be a coach, director, you know, whoever. And I was showing up to work every day, complaining about everything. I'm tired of seeing these clothes. I'm tired of hanging this stuff up. I don't want to change light bulbs. And my manager's name was Marlene at the time. And and I'm like, Marlene, you're giving me too many hours. But then I was asking for hours and it didn't make sense. <laughs> Michael, it, it did not make sense at all. I was just in a space to where I was just consistently negative and consistently toxic, affecting everyone around me 
And people looked up to me in that store at that time. So ultimately, then that's when something was birthed. After Marlene told me, Jonathan, your attitude, your attitude sucks, dude. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't say that. Because at the time, once again, there were certain things that were working in my favor. Michael, I was the best sales associate. I was the guy who had all the clients. Everything was going good, except my attitude. After she said that, she left and went on vacation. I said, wait a minute, Marlene, you can't just say that. You can't drop that bomb and then just, just move out the way and just move on. Yeah, she, she just chunked up. The, she's like, ah, peace. I'm, I'm going to Mexico with my husband. And I was like, wait a minute. And during that time, that was when I began to self-reflect and I began to really look at what I was doing, what I was saying, who I was affecting, who I was impacting. And, and, and that was when, and I'm a man of faith, so God laid that on my heart. And that was when I birthed something called the No Complain Campaign. And the No Complain Campaign was just a social media push. And it ultimately was to help people reflect on being more positive and be grateful for the problems that you have as well as the ones that you don't. And that was when the ball began really to start rolling um, to go on this, this renegade for change and just helping people just become more optimistic and, and really push for greatness and positivity. I love that. Positivity. I am all for it, man, as we did when we opened up the show. It's a great day to be alive. Happy to be here. You know, it, being negative really doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, it mm -hmm. just kind of gives you something to do. And it's not a really good thing to do either. As you said, it kind of like just you're surrounded by people and you're just kind of bringing everyone down. Now, no one's having a good time. Like we all have friends like that. I'm sure we all love all those friends. But like, why? Why are we doing this? Like, what if we just stayed positive instead and talked about I, I, I really love what you said, you know, be grateful for the problems you have. Like that is super profound, because when you think about it, so many people complain about the dumbest shit, like the dumbest stuff. And it's just like, well, that's the worst you have. Like, especially now, like we can see what's going on in the world right now. And, and that's what you're going to decide to complain about. Like there is so much other stuff. You should be so grateful that the worst part of your day is some dumb thing that is a throwaway to 99% of the population. So I really like the way you say that. And I really am impressed on how, how long did it take you? Because going from that type of attitude, it's not just, I mean, for most people, I don't think it's not just snapping your fingers and it's like, oh, I'm just going to be positive all the time now. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to really kind of shift your mental focus and shift your attitude? Because attitude is ingrained. You've been doing it for so long at this point. How long mm -hmm. did it take you to kind of shift that, to go from negative all the time, it seems like, to at least being aware and then being able to push it so that way when you have those negative thoughts, you can turn them on and, or turn them off and quickly turn on the positive ones? Definitely. So it was a slow progression. <laughs> Michael, it was a slow progression. So we'll, we'll say if the day that it started, because No Complaint Campaign started in 2014. So we'll say that if it started on Monday and I was complaining 10 times, maybe Tuesday, I might complain nine and a half times. So it, it, it began to slowly progress and slowly grow. Uh, mm -hmm. But ultimately, by putting it out on social media, that created a different level of accountability and then people who would find out about it or they knew what I was doing then they would say well John does this mean that you never complain and I was like well no it's not the fact that I don't ever complain although it's it's more so of as I'm complaining or as I like you said before as I see and become more aware of what I'm doing then I try to switch it up 
And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a terrible day. And I'm like, well, it's not a terrible day. It's hot. And I'm just upset because I haven't eaten yet. So let me go get something to eat. So it just became just constantly redirecting thought patterns, constantly redirecting uh, conversation and constantly just having a mental shift um, just to ultimately realize that you're impacting more people than yourself. And in order to do that, you have to be the change that you want to be the change that you want to see, be what you want to see is what my dad always says. So be be the change you want to see in the world. I truly live by that as well. I I love it, man. We're, we're really vibing here. This is some good stuff Um, (laughs) with that, with that too. I mean, you, you make a really good point because we're human beings. You're going to have negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go on the internet, you're going to have a negative thought. It's, it's, you know, outside of again, what's going on right now with the pandemic, with all the protests, Outside of that, it's just an awful place to spend your time. Like, try not to be there as much as possible. Yeah, go there and spread some positivity. But there's a lot of bad stuff on Twitter, on Instagram. It, it's really, it it does not help our brains mentally. And we can get into that later, potentially, or on another show, actually. Let's, let's push that one to another show. But there's so much, you're going to have those negative thoughts. So it really comes down to understanding how to be aware of those negative thoughts, as you said, and then being able to redirect your mental thoughts and your focus to say, I'm not actually angry. It's just, I forgot to eat and it's hot out. Like if you can do things like that, you're going to be so much happier in the long run and in the short run, it's going to take a while. As I said, you know, as you said, it you went from 10 to 10 to nine and a half. I mean, it took me a very long time to gain that type of awareness. And I feel like I'm good at it now, but you know, there's certain days where it's just, it's really bad. And the day feels very heavy to shout out my friend, Rob Cressy for that. So that's just one thing that I work on, on on a constant basis is just making sure that, hey, it's, you know, if you see or feel or are aware of these negative thoughts, you really quickly have to start, you know, understanding, like, turn that off, turn on a positive one or figure out a way, as you said, to kind of work around it and understand why that negative thought is coming so you can fix it and realize it's really not that bad after all. Definitely, definitely. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a little shameless plug here. And um, like I was telling you uh, about, so I, I did a TED Talk for, for kids and that that initial TED talk, the title of that was The Power of Commitment. And I think it goes back to the commitment that ultimately helps us shift our mindset. Because if, if Michael understands that he's committed to thousands of people, he understands that he's committed to his legacy and he understands everyone who looks up to him, who listens to for the love of sports and everything like that, then you'll be more com- then you should be more committed to you know that change or should be more committed to putting out something that's positive to help uplift people versus tearing people down because it, it goes back to the commitment. Just like when people get married, we make a vow and we make a commitment. And then that's what keeps us through those tough times. I'm like, Oh, I'm so upset at my wife. I'm so upset at my husband or my partner because they're making me so angry. But it's, it's not about the emotion of what you're feeling. It's not even about uh, how the day is going but it goes back to the commitment. They might make you upset, they might make you mad, but the commitment is I committed to love you. In addition to loving you, I have to realize that you love me as well. So it, it really goes back to the commitment. And I mean, that, that's that's an area I think that if there's a challenge or we have a, a, a struggle in our mind or in our heart, then we have to go back to the commitment. What are we truly committed to and what are our core values of our life to where we're just committed and they're they're tried and true so the power it's good stuff it is good stuff and i appreciate you again coming on jonathan jones podcast host transformational speaker best-selling author so let's talk about that stuff a little bit we talked about your collegiate career a little bit we talked about kind of how you got into this at what point 
did you, you know, as you said, when you were working at that, you know, as you were working at that retail store, that's when you kind of started to change the no, no complaint campaign. When you were working with kids is when you realized where you could start to help more. How did you start to combine these things and, and realize the power of your voice could then go ahead and help so many more people through being an author, a uh, podcast host and a speaker? Well, I, I think it's one of those uh, great things, Michael, as just as, as we've been talking before about those different experiences that I've had and even just learning more about myself. It's almost like we're carrying around an imaginary toolbox through different stages of our life. And as we learn things, we put in the toolbox, you know, we take it, we put in the toolbox. And then we later realize that we still have these tools, but we just haven't necessarily needed to use them for that particular job or that particular task. So that that boss at that nonprofit, he would baptize me by fire, for lack of better words, um, in regards to leadership. He would push me out and say, Jonathan, how are you going to handle this? Jonathan, we need to make these certain, uh, we, we need to do these things, put these things in place for our budget. How are you going to handle that? And then he even put me in the spot to where I had to do presentations. And I had to do presentations to pretty big audiences. And sometimes he just didn't feel like doing it while he also knew that it would better position me for the, the, uh, for the longer trajectory of my life. And that was when I began to, to, to get a taste of just of public speaking. And that was when I began to be so fearful of going and speaking in front of these audiences that I would practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. So when you take those experiences and then uh, we just began to look at different stages of life and what was necessary and what was needed, that was when I began to go back and pull, but ultimately realizing that I would see certain problems or certain issues so then I would apply that pressure or apply that tool there. So that was when that that gateway really began to get open for me. And then uh, when I eventually left that nonprofit, um, that was when I began to say, well, how can I further expand this impact? And what do we need to do to really make this happen? And the craziest thing, Michael, I went back because everything comes full circle. I went back to my junior college and I, ha I had a good name. Uh, my, my character was intact because the things my coach instilled in me at that institution, then coming back, I told the activities coordinator, I said, I want to speak. She said, Jonathan, what do you want to speak about? I said, I want to speak. She said, okay. All right, come on. <laughs> yeah, she was like, are you sure you don't want to teach a class? I said, no, I want to speak. And that was when this, this speaking model, and, and that was when passion began to more so become transformed into a product and from from it being a product, that was when I was like, OK, when it comes to a product, somebody pays something, they get something in return. You don't go to a grocery store and pay uh, the the checker and then you leave with nothing. So then began to put together those objectives, those concepts and that. I believe answers your question. If I didn't re-ask it, please. No, you're good, man. You're good. And I think that that part's very important. As you said, the toolbox and being able to go through and then finding the avenues that you had to be able to go and say, hey, this is something that I want to do. And these are the experiences that I've had. And this is how I can start to affect other people in a positive way. No complaint, mm -hmm. no complaint campaign. I love that. I'm going to hopefully be using that moving forward. So with that, I mean, let's let's talk about it. I mean, you wrote a book, your best selling author. Um, you had a couple podcasts, still have one. You had have two podcasts and, uh, you know, speaker. I do have TEDx written down here, which is pretty cool. Um, dealer's choice. Which one do you want to talk about first? I guess chronologically, we should probably talk about it, right? Okay. Well, okay. We'll go, we'll, we'll go with the book then. And right. 
And, and so the experience with the book is, is it's unique. And, and I say that because I know there's a lot of people that want to write books. And I was blessed and very fortunate to have a father who is a book writing coach. He's a book coach. His name is Dr. Fred, and he helps authors write books and become best-selling authors. The other caveat I'll make sure I say is that this book writing coach charged me like he charges everybody else. Oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, and, and to the day, if anybody ever asked me and people ask me, you know, what's one thing that you would challenge people to take away or what's the best life lesson that you've ever had? And it would be to bet on yourself, Michael. It would be to invest in yourself. My dad said, son, you should write a book. And I thought about it and I said, I don't really want to do that. I don't think I'm prepared to do that. And then after I finally came around, I was like, okay, dad, well, let's do it. He said, okay, son, well, you're going to have to pay me $5,000. All right, dad. Said, okay. Um, Can we make this in payments at least? Like, is that Yeah, how- so, so that we did do that. We did, and I actually have a picture of a check. I have a picture of a check that I wrote to clear out the final $2,000. Um, uh, but paying that and investing in my own personal development, investing in my career, investing in my livelihood and legacy, I'm grateful that, that I did because it, it did make me work a little bit harder because I'm working through the edits of the book while I'm at the nonprofit. So typically at the nonprofit, we would go in around nine and there were so many things going on because anybody who's familiar with nonprofit overwork, underpaid, mm-hmm. yep. and we would go in and I'm trying to do meal counts for the children that were in the after school program the day before. But before um, doing all this, we would have really long team meetings. So there was very little time to do however much work. And then we would leave and go to a school to do the after school program. So we would leave, go there from like three to five, three to six sometimes. Then we would go back to the nonprofit. Anyway, so I, I'm, I'm doing these edits and, and going through the, this process. Um, but ultimately, the goal with the book, I was going to actually name it the No Complaint Campaign. However, thinking about it and just taking time and realizing that might be a little vague for people. People might not really understand what that's about. And that's not going to give anybody clickbait or that's not going to make anybody want to pick that book up. So we named it Process. And the subtitle was 14 Surprisingly Simple Behaviors to Skyrocket Millennials to Success. Process. And and understanding that the whole purpose of the book, like I said before, was really to not beat down the generation because I'm a millennial. And are you you're in the millennial category as well, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one one of the stronger generations. <laughs> the strongest generation. Oh, there so we go. Crap, though, man, it's terrible. That M word. It's it's always has such a negative connotation, and I hate it. Like I don't know. I think yeah. we're doing some pretty damn cool stuff, but hey, maybe that's just me. And. And I think that the, so the biggest issue at that time, as I was just writing the book and thinking about it, the goal was to help build up and empower the generation. So not beat down the generation, because around 2016, that was when I think it was heavy, uh, or at least it appeared to be heavy for me or heavier than other times. So I wanted to write the book, just share some principles that I've learned from my family, share some principles I learned from my boss and CEO. And we put it together. And then that that was the book. And the go- the book was fairly short read and the back of the book interactive type questions behind each chapter to apply what we've learned so that was the goal and um yeah so we we've been we've been using the book um 
partnering with different colleges, partnering with different organizations and things like that. And, and, and it's definitely, definitely got some good feedback and some, a few five-star reviews on Amazon as well. Just a few. I like that. Um, the book will be in the show notes for anybody that is interested in buying it. So make sure to just grab me that, Jonathan, and hopefully we get a couple people to check that out. Maybe grab a couple extra copies for you and make a couple bucks. I don't really know how much. I'm actually in the process of writing a book. I think I told you that. And it's not really to make the money off the book. It's just everything else that comes with coming uh, becoming a published author. Hopefully, hopefully I'm also an Amazon bestseller, but we'll see. We will definitely see, man. With your help, I think anything's possible at this point. Um, so from there, like I guess you know, as you said, you were doing a lot of it while at the nonprofit. You eventually do leave the nonprofit. At what point did you decide to start? I guess speaking on on the podcast level, and and you've already. It sounds like you did a little bit of speaking, um, you know, to the kids and, and to some other in some other areas. But when did you decide, like, hey, this is the career path. This is what I'm doing moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I was caught in, in between two situations. And as I just think about it in my life, I feel like I've always been in between two seasons, I guess, because after leaving the nonprofit, I said, I'm going to go to graduate school and I'm going to study to be a therapist and be a counselor because I really want to help youth. And as I was going through, I struggled a little bit here and there just because when it comes to writing and when it comes to just reading all of those articles, it was exhausting, Michael. I'm talking about exhausting. So if you struggle in something and you don't get the help that you need and not saying that this was on the university, I wasn't taking it as serious because I was bit with the speaking bug. So now I have the podcast. I'm, I'm juggling in between speaking engagements and juggling in between leaving a night class in Plano, Texas, and then driving to Fort Worth, which is like an hour just so I can be in a space with college students and that was when I realized um, that maybe I, I should I should think about applying my energy where it can be most impactful and just in full transparency. So, Michael, I got I got kicked out. OK, I got kicked out of the graduate school. OK, can oh, we no. can we be honest? OK, I'll, I'll tell you the story, Michael. Since you're going to pull my arm, I'll tell you the story. You pull my arm, I'll tell you the story. So <laughs> so, so I, I already I already had like a, a C in one class because. I get bored. I would get bored sitting in those four hour long classes. So one class I'm sleeping too much, ended up just not performing because studying was really difficult for that material because it was just trying to, I was just trying to force it in my head. It was like me taking a book going like this and it was just so much. And then it came to the point where we're writing a paper and doing academic style writing. No. Okay. Some people love it. Some people can wait to the last day and then write the paper. I'm like, oh, turn it in. Oh, I got a 98. I'm upset. And I was like, wait a minute. How did you do that in two days? You know, like, you know, those people, Michael, everybody yeah. has seen those people in class. It's like, come on, man. Come on, young lady. Like, nobody cares that you're that good. Just turn it in and just be quiet. And then there's a young lady where me and her partnered together and she actually sent me her paper the day before it was due. I literally stayed up all night like this isn't one of those i stayed up all night no 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 i stayed up all night from the time i sat down on my computer at like six o'clock until in the morning to have to go to the class at 10 o'clock i turn in the paper and then the professor a few days later says jonathan let me let me have a word with you i was like okay no big deal we're sitting in this big room it's cold and as I'm sitting there, she's like, Jonathan, uh, I'm just going to ask you just a question. I was like, okay. She said, did you, 
did you write that paper? I said, yes, ma'am, I wrote the paper. Of course I wrote the paper. My name's on the paper, I wrote the paper. He said, okay, Jonathan, well, this is your paper. <clears throat> then she laid down my friend's paper. She said, this is another young lady's paper. And I, I, I see a few similarities. And I said, well, I mean, I, I wrote the paper. We, we, we have similar references because our papers were on the same topic on the same movie. So, you know, the references, there's some similar references, but I wrote the paper. She said, okay, well, Jonathan, since you don't want to be honest, <laughs> uh, we're going to have to pass this up to the department head. I said, okay. And I sat down with him uh, a few days later and we're, we're having a conversation. He was like, Jonathan, so what, what's, what's the issue with the paper? And I told him, I said, I, I wrote the paper. And then we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then I just, I just took, I just took the blame because the blame was mine to take. And I said, I said, I copied her paper. I said, we met up at Barnes and Noble. And after that, you know, I, I, she went away and then I jotted some stuff down, said, Jonathan, thank you for being honest. And then basically I, I was, I was sent home. And from that point, uh, I received a letter in the mail with the university letterhead. They basically let me know, Jonathan, you are out of there. And uh, just in that time, it, it, it was it was really tough for me just to just to think. And I'm like, oh, but I was so close to graduating and all this other stuff. But at the same time, I earned that F in that class. I earned that F on that paper. And, you know, what, what happened should have happened because, you know, that that's what I did. So that made it easier for me to begin to, to, to make the transition. However, at the same time, I felt that graduate school was getting in the way of me speaking. So now here we are just partnering with the colleges and now just in this time, you know, virtually. But I love being on the campuses. I love connecting with the students, hearing their stories, hearing about their lives and and then just sharing a little bit of mine. Very impressive. It's nice that you were honest. I mean, yeah, it kind of sounded like you uh, copied enough of that paper to the point. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't, I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, just like the, the department had like, dude, like, come on, we're not idiots. Like, it's very clear that something's going on here. But I think it's impressive kind of how, again, now, instead of you having to pay for grad school, you're having them pay you to come and speak to the kids, right? So I think it all does come mm -hmm. full circle. Um, so that part's kind of nice. So, you know, it, it worked out, obviously you're doing what you're doing, you're enjoying that. And, you know, hopefully other people again. And, and so how are you using this story in particular? How do you use this in your toolbox when you are talking to students, when you are talking to graduate students, undergrads and getting them to understand that, you know, life's really weird. Everything's not going to go exactly the way you seem just because you cheated on a pooper doesn't make you a bad person. It means you made a dumb mistake. Like, how mm -hmm. are you using this story in particular within that toolbox? When again, no, I, I feel like it's kind of a hard sell when you go to a college and be like, hey, I was kicked out of grad school for cheating. Could you let me come and speak to your student athletes? Is that something? Could we do that? Like, how do you how do you utilize that? How do you flip that script? Yeah. So I think it comes down to just showing the cost of the decision uh, and it, it, in hopes that they if they're presented, if they're presented with the same opportunity or a similar circumstance that they will choose a different path that they will not choose the path that I chose. So ultimately that's always what the goal is. And like you asked earlier about just transformational speaking, the goal is for them to see me as quote unquote, the transformation, even though I'm continuing to grow, I'm continuing to evolve. Have I arrived yet? No, I have not. But 
that that's always the goal and that's always the premise in everything that I share. That that's why I share so openly and so transparent, just so that people can see me and we can connect at a heart level. And then hopefully, because we don't get to make the decisions for these students, and I don't get to make the decision for the student, but ultimately. I feel that people are better equipped to make the healthy decision um, when they have all those tools and all those resources. So ultimately, it, it's just sharing from from a heart level, connecting with them, like I said before, um, just to make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure they make the right decision for them in that moment. So ultimately, I, I would say that's how uh, we, we flip the script on the story, because I am not a person who comes down from a long history of everyone in my family getting de- graduate degrees and being attorneys, but somebody else who might hear my story, that might be their journey or that might be their goal. So for them, if they hear that I lost that opportunity to be able to put those additional initials on my name, then I might say, well, wait a minute, maybe I should take the road less traveled. Maybe I should do this instead of that. I like it. And as long as, again, you're utilizing your story to impact others, there's been a lot of things along the way that, again, if you knew all this information, you now would not be in this position to be able to help these kids, which I think is the most important part. And let's talk about the podcast a little bit. So you had Speaker Success. You've now started Beyond the Ball. Talk about them a little bit. And I guess, I mean, you're great at talking. I really enjoy it. You are a podcast host, but you don't have a microphone. So I'm a little skeptical that now I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But no, talk to me a little bit about your shows. I mean, what you're trying to get the grid across What what's the points are and some of the successes you've seen with them so far. Gotcha. So first, Michael, I'm, I'm going to address your concern. Uh, you, you can't see the, the Zoom H4N I have over there. And I have my sure microphone because I'm really big. I don't know. I always like love doing the in-person typical interviews. But now, you know, we've had to I, I'm going to have to upgrade and get a mic. I, I'm, I'm going to get your link and I'm going to get the mic. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so I am a podcaster. I promise. I promise. Um, but but ultimately, the goal with the podcast is just to be an additional resource. And if there were three pillars that my podcast stands for, it would be a story, strategy and success. So ultimately, everybody that I bring on, uh, I give them the opportunity to share their story. And through their story, hopefully the student athlete takes away a strategy. And then, of course, we, we want to share the success. We want to share what's uh, potentially obtainable. And we want to make it re- realistic. We want to normalize success, uh, if you will, and even normalize failure. Um, so th- that's been uh, what, what we set out to do. And gratefully, we had the opportunity to actually interview um, James Starks, Super Bowl winning running back, James Starks. Yeah. Um, Packers, what? right? Packers, yeah. A, yeah. a few well, a few episodes back. And, and now I'm, I'm even opening up the platform uh, to interview some student athletes as well just so they can hear perspective from their counterparts across the country or different things like that. But ultimately the goal is just to continue to be a resource, just to be a resource for a student to plug in their ears and be able to listen to, um, as opposed to, you know, always listening to whatever else is out there. If it be um, not positive, not uplifting, not something that ultimately will invest in them and allow them to have a, have a return of investment on, so that's that's the goal. That's what we're striving to do and, and just continue to do that as we move forward. I love it, man. It's a great way to go about it. And I think there's a couple athletes that I've been able to get into contact with that I think you'd have some fun talking to. But Jonathan, I had a blast talking to you, man. This has been absolutely fantastic. We got to talk about your book, your speaking career, your podcast, your college experience. I think I think we hit it on all of it, didn't we? 
Yeah, I, I, I think we, I think we really did. I think we really did a good job. I think we did a damn good job. Jonathan Jones, podcast host of Beyond the Ball. Uh, Link will be in the show notes. Transformational speaker, website, and everything will be in the show notes. Best-selling author of the process. I don't remember the the fourteen simple steps to. No, yeah, see, that's about all I got. You, you tell the process. What's the name of the book? One more time. Process fourteen surprisingly simple behaviors to skyrocket millennials to success. Yeah, you were close. Uh, not really, but I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that, man. And thank you so much, Jonathan Jones. I appreciate you, man. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Michael, thank you, my man.